bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, March 14th, 2017. Today marks 14 years since the CDFI fund announced the recipients of its first inaugural round of new market tax credit allocations. Round one of the program awarded $2.5 billion in allocation authority to 66 community development entities. Since then, there have been 13 allocation rounds in total and over $42 billion in direct new market tax credit investments in distressed low-income communities. As you know, the New Market Tax Credit Program is authorized through December 31, 2019. But as I have mentioned in previous podcasts, there's active legislation in the House and the Senate to make the New Market Tax Credit a permanent part of the tax code. I'll have an update on that legislation in a bit. But first, let's dive into this week's tax credit news. In our general news section, I'll talk about a Washington Post report on what will be included in President Donald Trump's 2018 federal budget proposal a proposal that will be released this week, and includes some dramatic cuts to HUD programs. I'll also discuss what the Senate Majority Leader said last week about the timeline for tax reform and how it differs from what was said by Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. In local housing tax credit news, I'll discuss two housing reports. One is from the office of Senator Maria Cantwell, who introduced the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act with Senator Orrin Hatch last week, The other housing report is by the National Low-Income Housing Coalition. After that, I'll discuss what the District of Columbia is doing to address uncertainty in the low-income housing tax credit equity market. In New Markets Tax Credit news, I'll have a co-sponsor update on the New Markets Tax Credit Extension Act of 2017 in the Senate. I'll also have an update on the co-sponsors in the House. I'll close out with our historic tax credit section where I'm going to discuss some important guidance that was issued by the National Park Service about functionally related buildings and multiple building projects. I'll also have highlights of the annual National Park Service report on the historic tax credit, which includes a record that was set in 2016. And I'll conclude with information about a Nebraska bill introduced that would end the state historic tax credit. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, President Donald Trump is expected to send Congress his budget proposal for fiscal year 2018 this week. As you know, the government is currently operating under a continuing resolution for fiscal year 2017, and that continuing resolution expires April 28th. Now, the budget I referenced that Trump's going to send to Congress is for next year, the fiscal year that starts October 1, 2017, and ends on September 30th, 2018. The Washington Post reported that the draft fiscal year 2018 budget, passed back from the Office of Management and Budget, proposes cutting the budget for HUD by 14%, or about $6 billion. Now, no surprise here, once that information came out, affordable housing advocates called on Congress to reject any cuts. According to the Post, Trump's proposed cuts 
include $4 billion through the elimination of community planning and development grants. That includes $3 billion in cuts from shutting down the Community Development Block Grant, or CDBG program, and $950 million from the Home Investment Partnership Block Grant. Another $1.3 billion would be cut from the Public Housing Capital Fund. The capital fund's the money that pays for major repairs in public housing. And $600 million would be cut from the Public Housing Operating Fund. And there would be a $300 million cut in the Section 8 Housing Choice Vouchers and Vouchers for Homeless Veterans, as well as cuts to the Section 202, Section 811, and Native American Housing Programs. Now, it's important to note, and I want to stress this, the budget documents upon which the Post reported are not final, and they could be changed before the budget request is officially submitted this week. Diane Yentel of the National Low Income Housing Coalition called on Congress to reject the cuts, and she asked HUD Secretary Ben Carson to, and I quote, uphold the commitments he made during his confirmation process, end quote. Of course, Congress doesn't necessarily have to pass a budget resolution in order for the budget process to continue. If Congress doesn't pass a budget resolution, then Congress will rely on the overall discretionary budget set in the prior year's resolution, and based on that amount, annual appropriations measures are approved by the appropriations committees and subcommittees. I should also note, approving all 12 annual spending bills has rarely been completed by the end of the fiscal year in recent years. In those cases, where the 12 annual spending bills aren't completed by September 30th, Congress often enacts continuing resolutions. Those continuing resolutions fund the government while waiting for all the appropriations bills or an omnibus appropriations bill containing two or more subcommittee bills to be passed. So as you know, and as you can see, it's a long process and we'll keep you updated in future podcasts. In other news, I want to check in with you about the estimated time frame for enactment of tax reform. That's a question I get quite a bit. I mentioned in the podcast last week that Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin had said that the Trump administration aims to have tax reform passed and signed by the August recess, which is roughly the same time frame that House Republicans are hoping for. However, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell thinks that time frame is overly optimistic. McConnell told Playbook Live last week, and I quote, I think finishing on tax reform will take longer. It is complicated. Close quote. As a Republican leader in the Senate, McConnell's opinion holds significant weight. So we'll keep an eye on progress, and I'll post updates on Twitter as I hear them. My Twitter handle is at Novogratik. In local housing tax credit news, I want to talk about two reports that investigate and report on the country's affordable housing crisis. Those two reports are Meeting the Challenges of the Growing Affordable Housing Crisis, Expanding and Improving the Housing Tax Credit, this report from the Office of Senator Maria Cantwell, and the other, The Gap, A Shortage of Affordable Homes. That report is from the National Low Income Housing Coalition, or NLIHC. First, I'd like to focus on Senator Cantwell's report. Cantwell's report details the exploding demand for affordable housing and the dramatic decrease in the supply of affordable units. Cantwell's report found that the crisis had been fueled by three key factors. An increase of 9 million renters since 2005, the removal of 13% of existing affordable housing units, 
and stagnant wages. In a recent press release, Senator Cantwell said that if we fail to increase the low-income housing tax credit annual allocation, more than 15 million Americans could be spending half their income on rent by the year 2025. From the year 2000 to the year 2013, the number of Americans who are facing extreme housing unaffordability has increased from 7 million to 11.2 million. That's a near 60% increase. In addition, there is a nationwide shortage of 7.4 million affordable rental homes. This is up from a 4.6 million shortage in the year 2000. As I mentioned in last week's podcast, Senator Cantwell and Senate Finance Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch reintroduced the Bipartisan Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act, which strengthens and expands the low-income housing tax credit. It increases funding for the low-income housing tax credit by 50%. Now, the increased credit, the credit as modified by this bill, would help create or preserve approximately 1.3 million affordable homes over a 10-year period. In addition, the credit as modified by the bill would create nearly an additional half million jobs over the next 10 years, supporting the construction and renovation of affordable rental housing. Now, onto a report from the National Low Income Housing Coalition entitled The Gap, a shortage of affordable homes. NLIHC conducts this research each year in order to assess the availability of housing that's affordable to different income levels throughout the country. This report also finds a shortage of 7.4 million affordable and available rental homes for extremely low-income renter households. This year's analysis continues to show that the poorest households in the country face the largest shortage of affordable rental housing and have more severe housing cost burdens than any other group. The report found there were only 35, that's right, 35 affordable housing units for every 100 extremely low-income renter households nationwide. In the report, NLIHC urges Congress to address the shortage of affordable and available rental housing for the poorest households in America. The report notes that tax reform is the perfect time to make a change and support housing affordability for our nation's lowest income households. To read both reports, go to www.taxcredithousing.com. In other affordable housing news, the Department of Housing and Community Development in Washington, D.C. issued a request last week about the drop and low-income housing tax credit equity prices. The DHCD, as the agency calls itself, asked the affordable housing developers to communicate how the reduction in low-income housing tax credit equity is affecting them. Now, this is the latest in a series of announcements by low-income housing tax credit allocating agencies that are attempting to deal with the uncertainty in the equity market. Prices for low-income housing tax credit equity has dropped around the nation in the past several months primarily due to looming tax reform, corporate tax reform, that is. As we've mentioned previously, a lower corporate tax rate would lessen the appetite for low-income housing tax credits. The anticipation of such a drop in the corporate rate has resulted in lower prices for current developments. The DCHD asked developers and borrowers that had projects in their pipeline to provide information on how market changes have affected their properties. It also asked for suggestions to address funding gaps. Now, one possibility would be using the District of Columbia's Housing Production Trust Fund to fill the gaps. This according to last week's announcement. Now, this is not an isolated situation. Agencies in several states have acknowledged the equity issue, and some have already made changes. 
Those that have made changes include California, which has introduced a hybrid 9%-4% structure, Oregon, which postponed 2017 allocations and will use those funds to fill gaps from 2016, and several other states that have delayed their allocation deadlines. This is an ongoing issue in the affordable housing world and will continue to keep you updated as more state agencies react. My colleague, Mark Shelburne, wrote about this issue in the January Notes from Novogratic blog. You can read Mark's blog at www.novico.com blog. In community development news, I have a co-sponsor update on the New Markets Tax Credit Extension Act of 2017. As you'll recall, that's the legislation that would make permanent the New Markets Tax Credit. The bill would also allow for an inflation adjustment to the limitation amount for the credit after 2016. And it would provide alternative minimum tax relief for investors. The House version was introduced by Republican Representative Pat Tiberi, and it was introduced last month. And since then, this bipartisan bill has garnered 35 co-sponsors, 19 Republicans and 16 Democrats. By the way, 19 of those 35 co-sponsors are members of the House Ways and Means Committee, including ranking member Richard Neal. Tiberi, as you know, is also a member of the Ways and Means Committee. Meanwhile, the Senate version of the bill was introduced by Republican Roy Blunt. The Senate bill has four co-sponsors, three Democrats and one Republican. They include Senate Finance Committee member Ben Cardin and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. I should actually note, this is sort of breaking news, uh, during the course of this morning, Senator Thad Cochran, a Republican, also co-sponsored the bill. So now we have three Democrats and two Republicans. Now, as lawmakers work towards tax reform, having a strong show of support for specific programs like the New Markets Tax Credit will be crucial. You can find a copy of the legislation at www.newmarketscredits.com. The House bill is H.R. 1098, and the Senate bill is S. 384. In historic preservation news, the National Park Service issued some long-awaited guidance this month, guidance on functionally related buildings in multiple building projects. As you likely know, National Park Service regulations say that historic buildings that are determined to be functionally related historically are treated as a single certified historic structure. That's how they are certified when they're part of an historic tax credit project. But there are times when a developer would prefer an alternative, and the new guidance gives several examples of when the buildings can be treated as parts of separate structures for purposes of claiming historic tax credits. The new guidance points out that the National Park Service usually makes that determination at the beginning of the project. The National Park Service strongly encourages early discussion with a State Historic Preservation Office about the possibility of treating the building separately. And, it also stressed, the guidance cannot be applied for retroactively. Now, the guidance provided 10 examples of when function-related buildings may be treated as separate projects, including when there's a gap between the buildings, a large and diverse group of properties, a group of function-related buildings with a complex rehabilitation that goes beyond the 60-month phase project timeline, and there's a number of others. My partner Frank Buss in our Dover, Ohio office says this guidance is welcome and reflects what many historic tax rate practitioners already know. However, Frank does point out that the National Park Service provided this as guidance, which is not the same as a set of rules that you can follow to automatically gain approval. He suggests that developers who want to have their function-related buildings treated separately 
be sure to check with their state historic preservation office and the National Park Service early to be sure they're following protocol. By the way, the function-related building guidance came as an appendix to a National Park Service final report on how it will review the program. That report included reviews of several initiatives the National Park Service has implemented or plans to implement to improve the historic tax credit program. The action to release a policy on buildings that are functionally related was one of the action steps included. You can read both the National Park Service report and the guidance on function-related buildings at www.historictaxcredits.com. And if you have questions about how this guidance affects your development, call Frank Buss in our Dover, Ohio office. So another historic tax credit news, the National Park Service released two annual reports on the historic tax credit recently. The main report is called Federal Incentives for Rehabilitating Historic Buildings, and it said that the National Park Service had approved 1,299 projects last year, just one shy of 1,300. The total investment in rehabilitation work in 2016 was $7.16 billion. Say that again, $7.16 billion in investment and rehabilitation work. That's the highest amount in the history of the historic tax credit program. The report said there were an estimated 108,000 jobs created in 2016 by the historic tax credit. And more than 21,000 housing units were built, which is another record. Now, I should point out that more than 7,000 of those 21,000 homes were for low and moderate income people. The National Park Service also released a statistical analysis report on the historic credit, which showed that the number of projects and the rehabilitation expense total continued their trends of long-term growth. The statistical analysis also includes a state-by-state look at the historic tax credit and such statistical breakdowns as the totals of denials and appeals, types of owners, primary uses, other incentives used, and more. Since the start of the historic tax credit, which was 1977, there have been more than 42,000 projects certified. And there's been more than $84 billion invested in rehabilitation and more than 2.4 million jobs that have been created. Now you can see both the report and the statistical analysis at www.historictaxcredits.com. In state level news, a state senator in Nebraska has introduced a bill that would end the state historic tax credit in Nebraska effective immediately. Now, the credit was made possible through the Nebraska Job Creation and Mainstream Revitalization Act in 2014. It's a 20% credit that provides up to $15 million a year statewide for the rehabilitation, preservation, and restoration of historically significant buildings. And the cap for individual projects is $1 million. Well, State Senator Paul Schumacher claims the state credit has benefited Omaha, but not the more rural areas of the state. Schumacher claims that the complexity of the application process makes it tough for those putting deals together in smaller towns to compete. And he says the state's $288 million budget shortfall through June 30, 2019 would be helped by ending the tax credit. According to the head of the Nebraska State Historical Society, 16 of the 30 applications last year came from Omaha. Supporters and detractors of the bill testified earlier this month before the Senate Revenue Committee, which took no action on the bill. Now, the Nebraska Job Creation and Main Street Revitalization Act, enacted back in 2014, currently has an expiration date at the end of the year 2022. Also, Nebraska has one chamber in state legislature, 
So this would need to pass out of committee and be passed by the legislature to be considered by the governor. So we'll keep you posted on any progress for this bill, which is LB 475. That's the bill that would end the state historic credit. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I want to make a programming note. There's still time to sign up for next week's Novogratic Developer Syndicator Relationship Webinar. This course will cover the motivations of both the developer and the syndicator as they form limited partnerships to develop, renovate, and operate low-income housing tax credit properties. The discussion will be led by Novogratic's own Wayne Michael. He's our Director of External Education. He's going to be joined by Sue Wilson of Enterprise Community Investment, Mark Sween of Dominium, Sue Wilson representing a syndicator, and Mark Sween representing a developer. Now, of course, we also need an attorney, so serving that role is John Noldy of Winthrop and Weinstein. The webinar is next Friday, March 24th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 10 a.m. Pacific Time. You can register at www.novico.com webinars. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. We always enjoy getting comments from our listeners, so please send an email to cpas at novico.com with any suggestions for future topics. And as always, thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novico.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novico.com.